Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to have three guests on, much like we did last week, but this week we're going to be talking about the Minnesota Muskie opener because that starts in a couple days. Hopefully uh, everybody gets a chance to get on the water. I know it was a great weekend last weekend for muskie anglers in Wisconsin, at least it appeared to be. I mean, it wasn't so much for me, but it appeared to be for you know a handful of other anglers. It also seemed as though there was a pretty solid bite on Green Bay, at least on Saturday, so that was good. Hopefully uh, you find a solid bite in your area this weekend. Brad, exciting times. Just about everybody now that would listen to the podcast is going to be able to be out chasing muskies again, which is fantastic news. We just await Canada, which I believe would be Father's Day weekend, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's when Canada can start chasing muskies. Yeah, that's for sure, Jeff. I mean, it's we're right down to the wire here now for Minnesota, and uh, it's kind of uh, one of them deals where I'm not 100% sure what to expect this coming weekend. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I've heard from some news from the northern part of uh, Wisconsin. There was still quite a few fish spawning. And their water temps are very similar to ours. I was out on the water this past weekend fishing some bluegills as well as walleyes. Just kind of checking some things out. I didn't see any spawning fish. I wasn't on any musky waters. But uh, our water temps are very similar to northern Wisconsin's right now, up in my neck of the woods anyway. And I would say that we potentially could still see a few spawners, but they don't all spawn at the same time. So you definitely got to get out there and and, uh, put something together. Yeah, I can attest to that. I, not necessarily the spawning fish. I didn't see any, but they certainly could have been. I mean, I saw varying water temperatures on, let's see, when did I get out? Sunday. I got out with my two kids on Sunday. I personally spent probably more times, more time helping my son, you know, with his, his setup. He, my 12-year-old son, Austin, he's never went casting with us before. He never, he's always had interest in musky fishing, but he, usually if we mention casting, he's like, well, I'll, I'll go out there and I'll throw like five casts. And I'm like, um, brother, that's not how this works. Like you're coming out there. You're going to be throwing a lot more than five casts or you're probably not likely to catch much. And so I was helping him, you know, get his musky career started for him. I mean, he, he born into this, it's not a good thing for him, but anyways, uh, so I, I observed a few things in the water. It appeared as though weed growth in Northern Wisconsin was right on track. It was actually higher than I anticipated it being. So I guess that's a plus. Water temperatures varied anywhere from, uh, I'd say, like 68 to about 74, 75-ish where I was. Now, that's pretty far up on a northern bay was where I saw the warmest water, and it was probably 6 o'clock at night when I saw it. So, definitely, uh, things are progressing, and hopefully uh, that helps us get through. I know we're in a very warm stretch. We're recording this on Tuesday after Memorial Day, Um, so at least the intro. We've had the other stuff done for about a week but anyways, the intro part is very recent. So that's how that's going. And, you know, Brad, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Like I said, there were certainly bites to be had this weekend. I, as anticipated, the bite on Green Bay was great from what I could tell, at least on Saturday. I'm sure that um, those fish got overwhelmed with pressure and, and that changed their plans for the rest of the weekend. So I'm sure there was fish to be had, but probably not like it was early in the in the day on Saturday. Yeah, that always seems like combat fishing over there to me. So <laughs> it reminds me of the old Mille Lacs days here in Minnesota and boat to boat to boat, right? But uh, part of the game, um, there's always big fish caught over there every year, though. And I know a few people that caught in, in the Green Bay area. So that's a good thing. I mean, I definitely seen quite a few fish caught just on social media and what have you. And then also just visiting with people that I know from Wisconsin that uh, were out playing the game. 
So Brad, let me, before we, you know, get into this episode, let me ask you a question. So now we're looking at a, 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 appear a prolonged warming trend i would say these water temperatures should be up in the mid 70s in a lot of spots i'm assuming it's still going to be fairly superficial because of the you know obviously things were so cold because things were late again this year but when do you i mean are you are you assuming that we're going to be seeing a open water bite in a lot of locations fairly quickly because of this warming trend what's your prognostication on on that because for me I don't do a lot of open water fishing, but I thought about playing around with it in the coming weeks here up in northern Wisconsin. I'm just curious from my own standpoint and listener standpoint, do you feel something that would be uh, ready to roll here fairly quickly because of this warming trend? You know, it's amazing that, uh, you know, the water temps are showing 64 to 70 degrees, like you were saying, and in one case, you've seen 74 in in a shallower bay. Honestly, it's a lot of surface temp, right? And that's probably why a lot of these fish are still spawning. We're seeing that surface temp because that's what our boat's reading. And I would say that uh, we're maybe a little bit behind schedule. I thought we were going to be further ahead, but I would say that uh, the open water thing is probably going to happen in about two weeks. That that would be my guess because of this warming trend. Um, Some of those first fish that do get through the spawn, and I'm sure some of them are already done, they may have shifted out back out there. So I would definitely check some of the weed line stuff adjacent to the spawning areas. But then uh, if you're not seeing fish there, definitely go check out the, the open water stuff. Hey, Brad, one thing I noticed up in northern Wisconsin, I had a listener of our, ours text me on Friday night saying how bad the mosquitoes were in his area. Well, at this point, it was like 9.15, and I was like, nah, these mosquitoes aren't even that bad up here. I barely even saw any. Well, turns out that that must have been like the very end of the worst part of the mosquitoes because at seven o'clock till about nine fifteen every night up there the mosquitoes in northern wisconsin are freaking terrible so i don't know if you've seen the same thing over in minnesota but definitely going to want to try to uh, cover yourself up if you're doing a little bit of late evening fishing it's pretty brutal yeah we pulled off the water i think it was sunday evening and uh it was probably an hour and a half before dark man we got hammered at the access so yes there's a lot of mosquitoes right now yes that's how it was too and like it was i my kids were like dad do we actually have to stand here wait for you to get the boat on the trailer i'm like no just quick go run into the into the boat or into the truck and they did they ran out of the boat about as quick as they could jumped in the truck and you know hit out because man they were bad like when i was tidying up the boat i probably had 15 on me all the time it was it was insane so gonna want to uh, take precautions if you're heading out in the north woods anytime soon well, I made the mistake of leaving the windows down while I strapped down the boat. So that was a fun ride home. We had the windows open on the way home, trying to swat them out the door. So good times. I can imagine. All right, Brad. Well, we will, uh, we're going to kick off the Minnesota muskie opener with this episode. And we wish everybody luck on the water. And we just want to thank everybody for, uh, for their support of this podcast. So let's uh, dial up that conversation. All right, our guest for our first conversation talking about the Minnesota opener. You know, last week we went and did the uh, Wisconsin, the Northern Wisconsin opener. We've doing, been doing a lot of, you know, we've been heavy into Wisconsin muskies because Wisconsin is the next state. Now we need to start shifting over here to Minnesota. And our first guest today is Kirby Budrow. And Kirby, you know, we had you on the podcast. If I was prepared, I'd know what episode it was, but I'm not. And I'm guessing it was... I don't know, a hundred episodes ago, maybe. I don't know for sure. 
But anyways, you weren't doing any guiding back then, and now you are. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, talk about the name of your guide service and pe how people can get in touch with you. Yeah. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, at the time, uh, I was probably around 100 episodes ago. Uh, I was not guiding. I kind of gave it up for a few years there just to spend more time with friends and family and uh, fishing with friends and family. Um, it's kind of getting a little busy. But uh, last fall or la late summer, I decided I wanted to pick it up again. So I just put a Facebook post out there and said, hey, I'm ready to start guiding again if uh, anybody's looking. And actually, it was super busy. I uh, had tons of inquiries and uh, people booked trips and we did really well. Um, one of my, it was probably the best guiding success that I've ever had. So it was really great. My uh, guide service name is uh, Muskies Every Day, just like my Instagram. So you can find me on there as well as uh, you can give me a call. Uh, my number is 218-256-8814. And I do only guide uh, part-time. I, I still work uh, full-time uh, for the state. So uh, I'm not available all the time, but I am looking to get a few more trips for this uh, summer, especially late summer and fall. It's more my focus on getting a few more dates. So definitely uh, hit me up if you're looking for uh, Vermilion or Grand Rapids area lakes. Well, speaking about uh, muskies every day, is that really what it is, Kirby? Is it always muskies, or are you guiding other fish, too? I'm only guiding muskies. I do enjoy fishing walleyes, but I don't consider myself an expert at it. And not that I'm an expert at muskie fishing, but it's what I put all my efforts into. Uh, I just love it, and uh, I love seeing people catch fish. At this point, I feel I've caught enough of them myself, and I'd rather kind of just net some more for other people. And really uh, get people their first muskie, their biggest muskie, you know, I'm fishing vermilion a lot. So, you know, we're looking at really big fish and probably bigger than most people catch. So uh, that's the opportunity that you get when you come with me. Yeah, absolutely. So I got to ask you, I know we talked a little bit before we started recording, you've been out a little bit on the water and got your uh, walleye dinner the way it sounds. What can you say about this spring versus some of the other springs that we've dealt with with muskie opener coming up? Okay, well, this year, the way the spring has progressed is a little bit different than a lot of years, which you could say that about any year, right? Um, but this is a little bit weird. We had a late ice out and now really warm. Uh, so kind of all bets are off on my prediction on what it's going to be like, though I do think it's going to be good. Um, based on the forecast coming up, we've got about two weeks until opener, right? And uh, really warm temperatures, which I do like uh, going into opener. It seems to get the fish fired up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that's so crazy to me is if you look across the south, which I've gotten the opportunity to fish down south for the last 20 years here and there, but their transition is really slow. And it seems like Minnesota and northern Wisconsin it happens within a couple of weeks, right? We have all this ice on the water, but our water temps actually bounce up and increase quicker than they do in the South. So it's kind of a different transition. So, yeah. you know, with that being said, uh, obviously we had a late ice out. We had quite a bit of snow cover in my neck of the woods. I'm assuming you did as well. Oh yeah. One, uh -huh. of, one of the things that I, I always deal with when we have a ton of snow on top of that ice, it seems like it kills a lot of the weeds 
and those weed beds take a little bit of time to recoup and, and start bouncing back. Do you see that as well on your water? Absolutely. Uh, being far northern Minnesota, sometimes we really don't have green weeds uh, on opening day. Depends on the lake, but especially Vermilion. Um, and I do fish other lakes on opener too. It just depends on the year. This year I will be on Vermilion. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And I may get out there uh, on Saturday just to scope around and see what's happening. But um, being that we do have warm temperatures now, uh, and a lot of sun that could get that weed growth going, but it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't have much as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know I'm concerned about it as well. And I have not been on the water here locally by me, but, uh, I will be here in the next couple of weeks. But as, uh, as we kind of go into this whole musky season, I, I'd like to try to get on the water before the season. I don't generally guide the first week or so just because I want to get kind of in tune. Give me a little bit of direction on what you're going to do to get in tune with where the fish are and how you approach it. Okay, so I'm kind of paying attention to the weather as soon as we got ice out. Just thinking a little bit about opener ahead of time uh, because that's kind of going to dictate how I'm going to fish. And like we said, we have a late spring so typically with a late spring, you're going to have cool water. But right now uh, with these warm temps, we might have warmer water. So, you know, that might come into play as well. But what I'm really paying attention to um, is the day before opener and the day of with uh, how much sun we're getting and how much wind and which direction that wind is coming from. Typically on opener, we're fishing back bays, right, for uh uh, spawning or post-spawn fish, immediately post-spawn fish. Um, a lot of males typically are in shallow. Um, in actually, you may have a lot of action on opener. You may not get as many bites, but you'll see a lot of fish. They're, they can be sluggish, but they can be fired up too. It just depends on the day. But what I'm looking for is which direction the wind is coming from. And is that wind blowing surface water temps, which are, which are a lot warmer than water, say, a foot or less below the surface um, and they're going to that wind is going to push out warmer water into spawning bays so say you have a uh, northwest wind the southeast side of the lake that may have a spawning bay that you're thinking about fishing will probably have warmer water than the northwest side of the lake maybe by five degrees or maybe even more um, and so i'm looking at fishing those spots um, where that water's warmer because there probably are fish in each of these spawning bays, but those ones with the warmer water are going to be a little more uh, apt to bite. So pay attention to the wind. And, uh, and then also I would pay attention to the, uh, the solar influences too, this time of year, especially. You're looking at trying to get the warmest water. So in the, in the morning, you got uh, the sun rises out of the east, right? And it's a little bit to the north the first part of the lake that's going to get warmer or going to get sun and start to warm up faster would be the southwest side of the lake or the south shores of the lakes. Check those spots and see what the water temps are, cast them, see what's happening, um, and try to locate some fish there. But, you know, when you get that sun warming up right away in the morning, you may have a good opportunity at getting fish right then. And as your day progresses, you're going to get the sun up and high in there in the sky and that's going to kind of warm the lake more evenly 
So that kind of opens up a little more spot or a few more spots for you to fish that are probably warming up. And you're also paying attention to the wind, like I said, blowing warmer water into certain parts, certain parts of the lake, depending on which uh, direction it's coming from. Then by the end of the day or the afternoon, the sun's starting to set or get into the western part of the sky. So then your east side of the lake is getting more sun at that point. And so that's, you're going to want to be checking those uh, spawning bays as well at that time, uh, because those fish that may have been there, you know, they, they were probably there already, but they weren't active because it was just a little bit too cool for them. Now they might be starting to get active. So pay attention to that. Yeah, definitely some good keys to that whole thing, that's for sure. Uh, what are you going to do as far as your approach with bait? What are you looking at? I know, you know, everybody always talks about small bait, small bait, and I cut against the grain. I always like to go bigger baits, and I slow down my presentation. Let's talk a little bit about how you're going to approach your spot. Yeah, so, and I've heard you say that before, Brad, um, the bigger baits, and I've actually um, taken that into account even. But, you know, I've caught muskies on opener on double 10 uh, bucktails and you know the past um, original or say old school muskie guys was all, would always say you have to use small baits on opener um, go slow small baits small bucktails and clearly that does work so you're not going to say no that doesn't work but I also have caught fish on bigger baits so double tens definitely can work I'm more of like start with a showgirl size bait um, and move up to like uh, double nines size bucktails, um, you know, depending on reading the fish's activity. Again, that's all going to play into uh, your water temperatures and seeing how active the fish are as well. So if you got some more active fish, I have no problem throwing a little bigger bucktail and moving it pretty fast. And that's when you got your warmer water. But if it is cooler, a lot of times what I'm going to throw is some gliders, uh, walk the dog top waters, especially are very good on opener. We've got a lot of big fish doing it that way. Hog wobblers are really key for me. And also uh, red October tubes, um, any sort of uh, stagger blade bucktail that's a smaller one, I do uh, throw a lot of those as well. Another favorite of mine has always been safety pin style center baits. And I it's so weird. Like that first week of the season, for whatever reason, I've always elevated to the, the well, it might be our hinge or maybe a CJ lure spinner bait. Um, there's so many different good ones out there, but the safety pin style seems to always get the work done that first week for me in the season. And that's interesting to me too. Um, you know, I've, haven't thrown a lot of safety pin style spinner baits because I just prefer bucktails and, I should give those a try more. I haven't even, I have not tried that hinge of yours as well either. So I should probably give that one a try one of these years too. But yeah, people talk about spinner, spinner baits all the time. And I just never really got into them. And clearly they do work. They're probably one of the better musky baits there are. So. Yeah, it's hard to throw it all, right? And I think as a fisherman, we all get stuck in a little bit of a rut, whether it be, you know, one guy likes a, a red October tube, which is a great bait. And you get stuck into that realm. If, if that's what you're catching on or you're seeing fish on, it doesn't always necessarily mean that's the go-to bait, but we get stuck in our own little ruts, that's for sure. Well, and that's really important, that rut that you're talking about. Um, that reminds me, 
and maybe it's not necessarily i'm not thinking of baits but i'm thinking of spots here and especially opener spots so we talked about spawning bays back bays stuff like that for opener but think outside the box a little bit and pay attention to maybe some summer spots too rock reefs weed weed reefs and uh, weed humps and uh main lake islands often do have big fish on them on opening day and if you talk to some of the old school guys they'll say you're crazy for fishing them but the way i know this is because i'm stuck in my rut fishing the shallow spots and then i talk to somebody uh who's uh maybe inexperienced and they're out there fishing main lake island that's typically a very good summer spot and i'm just like what are you doing they're like oh i got a 52 incher out there today on opener i'm like are you kidding me like i would never fish that spot on opener and yet they're catching a 52 incher and i'm in a back bay catching a 41 incher so get out of your own way and uh think outside the box um especially with baits like you said uh talk uh, maybe bigger baits can be better uh different spots um spinner baits in my case things like that uh just open your mind up a little more on opener there's always the potential to have an open water bite on opener as well yeah definitely that's something that i love is the the open water bite and i have a feeling because we are so late this year it might get pushed out just a little bit you know a week or two but but well you're definitely gonna have to check that's for sure um, yes. One of the other things that, that I was considering when you were talking about those rock spots is the rocks will definitely gather a lot more heat as well. So that might be part of that whole solution. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, not all the fish are spawning at the same time either. So, you know, maybe the fish that was out on those rocks had already finished spawning or maybe it, maybe it doesn't even spawn at all. I think there may be some fish that just don't spawn as well so you know maybe he was just out there feeding and you happen to be in the right place at the right time so you say feeding uh one of the other things that i would like to talk about is bait fish how much are you looking for that source of bait fish when it comes to your approach on on spots throughout the spring and the opening weekend probably not paying attention to it as much uh as i normally would because what I am doing is fishing those back spawning bays. And I know there are bluegills and, and perch and stuff back in these bays, but I think the reason the fish were there in the first place is for the spawn. And now they're done and they're probably going to feed on, on whatever's in there. And if there was no bait there, they probably would take off, but you know, they are there um, uh, probably feeding on perch or bluegills at that point. And that would probably, you know, we're talking about some weed growth, you know, if you can find a spot with some green weeds, that's where your bait's probably going to be. So uh, pay attention to that green weed uh, areas and uh, fish that. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the primary reasons that I like to get on the water previous to the season. And, and that's to go out and scope. Where's the newest weed growth? And I'm looking for those cabbage weeds. And it's definitely something that I think, uh, you know, the bait fish are going to key in on. Well, guess what? Those big uh, predator fish are going to follow right behind it. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes, like I said, they can be actually really fired up on opener. Um, getting fish to fly up into the figure eight on a bucktail and smash it at the side of the boat. And, you know, I've uh, always had pretty good success on opener and really enjoyed it um and it's kind of you know 
throwing bucktails, spinner baits, top water, whatever. It's kind of a summer peak thing, right? But you know, it's a good opportunity to get out there and start knocking the rust off and casting bucktails and just having fun with it, right? Rather than uh, not even worried about uh, putting up big numbers of fish. You're just out there to have some fun and you're going to see a lot of fish typically. Um, practice your figure eight. Oh, you screwed up on a fish. Well, you're going to see a next one or see another one in the next spot too. So yeah, it's it, opener really is a great time. You know, I got to say, like, sometimes one thing I like about, like, just listening to this podcast is, so I heard you guys talk about rocks early season. I heard you guys talk about spinnerbaits early season. And I can honestly say those are two things that I've probably never tried in the early part of the season. And, uh, you know, after hearing you guys talk about it, maybe it's something I'm, I'm missing out on. You know, I'm always keying in on early season, green weeds, shallow, you know, whether it be a, a shallow twitch bait, a, a suic, a, a, you know, a bucktail, things like that. And so, uh, I like, you know, this podcast has always been about trying to open people's eyes to other things, other techniques. And, you know, I appreciate that you guys brought all those things up because it's definitely not something I check in, you know, in the early season, uh, fall, September, late August, I'm definitely checking rocks, but not usually early season. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to check my normal spots first. Uh, but if I, if I got time in the afternoon or something, I'm waiting for a window maybe to open up. I'm going to go check some other spots too. And, you know, you might be really surprised at what you find. All right, Kirby, I want to thank you for uh, giving us a preview of the Minnesota muskie opener. Some things that people can consider, we know when they're hitting the water here in the next uh, couple days. And for people that are looking to get out with you again, what's the best way they can reach you? Yep. So you can either uh, get me on Facebook, which a lot of times I'm just sharing pictures of dogs and shelters. So not so much muskies on there anymore, but uh, it's uh, my Instagram is more active uh, with uh, muskie content. And I try to keep that going all season and uh, even through the winter. So my Instagram is muskies every day. And uh, you can also give me a call, text me, whatever, um, at my cell phone, uh, 218 256 8814. And I want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with us. Hopefully, uh, you know, it's not another hundred episodes before we hear from you again, but, uh, you know, I definitely appreciate that. And I hope you have a great opener and hope you have a great season. We'll definitely be in yeah. touch. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Kirby. All right. Our next guest is Captain Phil Bowerly with Outright Angling. And the last time we talked to Captain, Captain Phil by himself was episode 162 in April of 2022. So my guess is, Phil, you must be our resident early season Minnesota muskie guru, I guess. That's what we'll call you, right? Yeah, that sounds good. I'll, I'm the forecaster, I guess, here. Uh <laughs> prognosticator i guess right well i think if i remember right you were part of that week long podcasting that we did in april then of that year and we all talked about how everything was going to be so late and then next thing you know late may huge warm-up things get back on track and it kind of looks like you know we're going to probably be maybe not quite as warm as that but we're going to be on track here i mean the things are things are looking good after what was probably a slow start you know, why don't you talk a little bit about spring? And I know you've been running some walleye trips. What are you seeing on the water right now? Yeah. So, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, the the absolutely a late ice out this year. We had a lot of snowpack on the ice, too, so uh, not a lot of light penetration. But once the ice went out, uh, it warmed up really, really fast. Uh, and so 
the bait fish and the walleyes and everything were a little bit helter skelter for a while, but now we got some more warm, stable weather. It's 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 kind of stabilized out. We've got uh, pr- I would say pretty average temps for this time of year. Uh, we've seen some musky spawning behavior uh, a week back or so. Um, even though the temps were you know well in the sixties, uh, we saw some pairs muskies uh, where you'd expect them to be i think we're going to be kind of on track for opener here june 3rd normal stuff going on depending on what the weather does here in the next uh, week or so i guess so phil you know obviously you're using your multi-species side of things to do a little bit of scouting before the muskie season starts and i definitely think that's probably going to help you some are you seeing some weed growth already on leech and so everybody that doesn't know you know you you base out of Leech Lake and you kind of cover an array of lakes in that area, but Leech is pretty much your home body of water, correct? Yeah. Leech is, is pretty, is historically been where I've done 90% of my muskie fishing. Um, last year I did poke around a little bit more and fish some patterns on some smaller lakes in the area. So I do run around a little bit more now than I used to. That might be the case, uh, this year, uh, the first, month of the season anyway the, the, the smaller bodies of water do definitely kick start a little sooner for a you know patterning a solid musky bite so kind of trying to force myself to do that a little bit uh and run around a little bit more early and a lot of times you can hit a peak trolling bite on a smaller body of water first and then catch it again on leech and you can do the same thing when the casting bite kicks in you can uh, take advantage of a smaller body of water that's a little further along in the, the seasonal progression and then jump back on to leech and do it all over again. So essentially that's kind of what I've been trying to force myself into is uh, utilizing a few more lakes and, and you know, hitting that, be- extending those peak bites a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So I, I think that's interesting. I mean, the leech area there has so many different bodies of water that you can go musky fish on. That's one of the cool gems in the state, if you really want to think about it that way. You have tons of different water and lots of options. How do you rule out what thing you're going to do on that particular day? I mean, say you haven't been on the water. So the listeners that maybe aren't out doing some scouting or multi-species fishing, how would you rule out what lake you would go to and versus going to say a leech or maybe vermilion, one of those bigger bodies of water? Yeah. Well, it seems to be, uh, regardless of water temperature, I think for whatever reason, uh, just because of the, the thermal mass of the bigger lakes that they take a little bit longer for those fish to get going and really get chewing. Yeah. I I think those smaller bodies of water that warm up, a little bit quicker sunlight penetrates and things just happen a little quicker. Maybe they finished up the spawn a little bit earlier, you know, the bait fish uh, are happening are popping a little sooner. So I guess, uh, you know, leech is a body of water that's got some unbelievable musky fishing, but it can be hard to pattern them early season. It always has been that way. So smaller bodies of water are a little bit easier to break down and get on to that first bite of the year anyway, I guess. Definitely. So the key point there, in my opinion, what you're saying is definitely consider a smaller body of water for the opening weekend. 
What's yeah. your plan of attack? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, also, you know, with Leach uh, in the past, there's kind of two approaches for early season to, uh, you know, you can approach, you can go after the, um, the basin fish that have moved out into the basin and look for fish out there right away. And sometimes that can be really good right off the bat on opener. Typically though, it takes a few weeks for that to really get productive for me, consistent. The other approach is to kind of look for those confined basin areas of the lake. We've got, you know, it's basically a chain of lakes here. So there's some smaller lakes, bays, and and basins that, you know, you can just think of them as separate lakes and kind of attack those. Uh, those, those are great for casting, right? So we'll pick up a couple of fish in those smaller basin areas and lakes uh, before before uh you know the casting on the big lake kicks in for sure well let's talk a little bit phil about that basin fishing because uh, our first guest on this particular episode was kirby Bordeaux, and he wasn't really talking about the trolling thing so if you're going to do some trolling you're going to experiment with those basin fish what's your plan of attack there basically find the bait fish um and i think you alluded to it uh, a couple of minutes ago uh you know, if you're fishing for walleyes or, or some other kind of fish, um, you know, you're running over the basin constantly. We're using our side imaging. Uh, so those are things, even if you're not thinking about it all the time, you kind of do get in tune to where the bait fish might be at uh, and where you want to start, uh, you know, trolling around looking for, for those bait fish is the whole key to the, to the basin fishing, in my opinion wind direction can have something to do with it but uh you know previous years experience plays into it a lot too uh a a lot of times on leech lake we get uh we find the bait fish first on some of the northern ends of the basins if that makes any sense Uh, several of the basins we find uh you know the spawning areas to the north and the basin to the south and so we will and we will pick up on bait fish and muskies uh on the northern ends of these basins and we can actually follow the bait fish in the muskies south uh whether it's walker bay or the bain lake or sucker bay the spawning areas are on the north end and we can kind of follow the fish and bait fish south as the uh and it all culminates kind of with the bug hatches at the end of june so it's kind of it's kind of fun to be able to do that yeah, absolutely. I know the bug hatch side of things in my neck of the woods, it really hasn't taken place the last three years or so. I, I remember, and I think I posted a picture a couple of years ago of uh, being on some of my local water here and the mayflies would just be thick. I mean, to the point where you could barely breathe. I'm not seeing those bug hatches. Is Leech still putting out a pretty good bug hatch every year? There is, there is, but I think uh, weather, water temperature, and the amount of sunlight can really play a role. Uh, sometimes it warms up really quickly, and you have a lot of sunny days, and it seems like the bugs can all hatch at once, right? And then other years, you've got maybe more uh, weather systems coming through, so the temperature is up and down. You know, when it's one, when it's in that 70 to, what, 73, 74 range, uh, if you've got up and down temperatures and cloudy days and it can kind of really stretch it out. 
so it's less noticeable and you might even get what seems like two or three different bug hatches that are spread out over several weeks right but yeah then there is the odd year when you just go okay where, where were the rest of the bugs they just didn't seem to has, hatch in mass like they do uh other years so yeah it's an interesting thing uh, it's hard to pin down right yeah unfortunately it is hard to pin down and i, I can honestly say for whatever reason that open water bite it just seems like it's played a little bit later the last couple of years. Now, I do agree with you, smaller bodies of water, you can sometimes adjust and get on on an open water bite on some of those smaller bodies earlier. But uh, I think without that bug hatch, it's just been kind of troublesome to really locate where all those uh, tulipies are. And when you're not seeing them and in the big droves and the bugs aren't there to make them get in those droves, it, it makes things tougher. There's fish are spread out further and further apart yeah i agree i think we're all we're looking for that perfect storm right where the water warms up fast enough for the bugs to kind of all hatch at once and the tulabies uh the ciscos are, are plentiful and they find them and the muskies follow them there and, and everything's great uh but it doesn't always happen exactly that way seems like so, Phil, let's talk a little bit about baits. Since we're kind of on that open water topic, what are your go-to baits? And are you running a mass system? You're running boards? You're just down rods? What, how are you attacking? So, I run a mass system uh, when I can. A lot of years, it seems like the further away from the boat you can get those baits, the better. Uh, especially when the fish are high, high in the water column. Uh, it seems like, uh, you know... The, the further away from the boat you can get those baits, the better. I love uh, targeting fish in the basin when they're near the surface. I pr- I'm pretty careful to leave them alone when they're deeper than 15 feet or so. I run probably 75% of the time I'm running matlocks or headlocks. I run some, a few blue waters. I run a few jointed baits, perch baits, and things like that. But... Uh, yeah, mostly crankbaits uh, and mostly near the surface uh, when we can get away with it. I kind of have a cutoff date of around July 1st where we don't really do the basin trolling much anymore. I feel like regardless of the water temps, uh, at least in the basins that I'm fishing, regardless of the water temps, the fish are just end up being deeper, uh, whether it's the photo period, length of the days length of sunlight that's driving those fish a little bit deeper but um i just i'm just not super comfortable targeting fish you know that are 20 feet plus down so i really love targeting them when they're near the surface uh with boards and and uh there there are years when you know the fish are down you know 10 12 feet 15 feet maybe and uh, they seem to hit the down rods a lot better so I might just leave the mast behind in some of those situations and and uh, and pull a few uh, inline boards or skip the boards altogether if uh, if they're just wanting down rods. Well, amazingly enough, we've never talked about the open water trolling side of things together, but uh, I'm totally on board with you. I mean, that July 1st is basically when I shut it down as well. And I think it's kind of coincides with the uh, thermocline as that thermocline starts to develop it seems like some of those fish start going a little bit deeper 
And amazingly enough, even when you keep your baits, and I fish my baits high as well, say they're in the top five to eight feet of water in that top five to eight foot of uh, behind your board. And the amazing part about that is, is that there's times when you're going to call some of those fish from 20 feet down, 25 feet down, and that's when things get a little bit interesting and airy for the fish. So definitely something to consider. And uh, I'm with you. I don't try to uh, plan my attack that way at all. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out. A lot of people have gotten into this trolling thing in the last few years and maybe haven't thought about it that way um, as far as fish coming up from, from deeper water. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like uh, even when the, when the temps are cooler, that those fish will go a little bit deeper around that you know, July 1st period, uh, you, you know, whether they're avoiding the sunlight or what, but, uh, yeah, that surface layer just grows and grows. Right. So there's warmer water, uh, down deeper. And I, I think part of it could be that in, in the other thing that scares me a little bit is, uh, not just, uh, barotrauma from the deeper water, but, uh, thermal shock. I think if those fish are coming up from water, that's, you know, 50 degrees into 70 degree surface temps, it's, it's sort of hard on them. I think the combination between, uh, you know, maybe a little barotrauma and a little thermal shock, uh, it's, it's, it's hard on them. So yeah, I, I try to leave those deeper fish alone too. It's, uh, I think it's a great thing to point out too. Yeah. I'm, I'm right on board with that. So let's shift gears and let's talk a little bit of casting. So if you were going to, let's talk leech this time. So we already know that you're potentially going to go to some smaller lakes around the opening weekend, but say we were going to go to leech, we were going to go to this massive body of water. Where would you start your plan of attack as far as casting? And then let's talk a little bit about those baits as well. Yeah, great. So on leech uh, in particular, there's some, I would call them potholes, uh, but you know, you could have, there's a few river channel situations where you've got, you know, shallower basins, like little, little tiny confined basins that are usually silty or bottom. The weed growth near those areas is going to come up first. It's going to be the greenest weeds in the lake. And then of course, those dark bottom potholes are warm up really fast. Uh, so they've been warm, you know, all spring and it holds perch and bait fish and everything else. Those areas are key. They're kind of spread out. So you take a little bit of a run and gun approach to hit a lot of those kind of areas, mud bottom bays, uh, you know, kind of the same thing. If I'm musky fishing, we have to throw bucktail some, uh, just to see some, some years, bucktails right off the bat are great other years our bucktail bite doesn't kick in until the middle of july so definitely have somebody throwing a bucktail i really like glider like a lot of people like gliders uh early season uh twitch baits lately uh one of the better early season baits for us has been something like a shallow mag dog just pulled over the weeds and maybe ripped a little bit through, uh, you know, those emerging green weeds. Uh, that can be really good. We get a lot of musky follows when we're multi-species fishing. Uh, you know, if you hook a perch or a walleye or 
smallmouth or something, you get a lot of muskies that follow those fish in. I think it's more out of curiosity. Maybe they're not really feeding yet, but just it's, there's something in them that they have to follow, uh, <laughs> that, a fish that's acting strange like that, that, that you're fighting, you know, we've tried to go back, you know, in the month of June, tried to go back and catch those fish with musky baits and usually you don't even see them. So there's something, there's something about, uh, erratic, slow erratic baits, uh, you know, that kind of resemble, uh, you know, you, you, you try everything. So when you see them following, uh, fish that you're fighting other fish, you go, Hmm, what, what, what could I, how could I mimic that? And, uh, you know, I think like, uh, something like a shallow mag dog or a glider does a pretty good job of that. I got to ask you, uh, I asked Kirby this as well. Are you a small bait guy for the opening week or are you, are you breaking the rules and going larger? I'm, I'm the guy that I try not to get stuck on one or the other. We've had, we've caught fish on cowgirls on opener we've caught fish on the you know number five blades on opener a tiny twitch baits to you know a pound a pounder <laughs> so i i kind of i'm gonna let the fish tell us but if we're fishing near a big basin that's got cisco's i'm for sure gonna be throwing bigger stuff if i'm fishing you know up in those smaller confined basins where there, there there's more perch and minnows and things around that I might lean more toward smaller baits. So I think it kind of just depends on what kind of system you're on. At least that's what makes sense to me. I think that makes perfect sense. So let me ask you this. You're standing in the back of the boat guiding on opening morning and you have two guys on the front. What's the order of the baits that you're going to pick out first? Yeah, so for sure, bucktail coming through, maybe kind of quickly. I'd probably honestly start with a smaller bucktail moving kind of quickly uh, just to see if we can trigger something to pop up out of the weeds or, uh, you know, onto that bait. And then something, you know, more erratic, something that doesn't come in in a straight line, like a, like a glider, like a shallow bag dog something like that i'm gonna play around this year too with uh you know one thing i haven't really thrown early season is like a a spinner bait maybe popping that up and walking that up and down in the weeds that's the thought i had the other day that's kind of intriguing that could could be good too maybe something like that hinge spinner bait that you could flutter up and down again i'm just trying to think of things that that we've gotten responses from muskies from in the past early season, because they can be tricky out here early season. So, Well, that's interesting you brought that up because the safety pin style spinnerbait has always been a go-to for me, but first for, for sure the first week of the season, and sometimes it even leads into the second week, but uh, it depends on the weeds and kind of what's going on. And I don't know. It's been a go-to for me for years, so definitely something to think about. I'm curious though, what are you doing in the back of the boat? Are you going to be switching it up? Are you, going to be trying to, you know, I, I'm curious what you're doing in the back of the boat. You got a bucktail ripping through, you got an erratic bait as number two. What are you going to be doing? Phil? uh, probably going through the tackle box to be honest, but I, I would be doing something like either, you know, maybe slow rolling a cowgirl or maybe hop at a spinner bait. Like we just talked about just, 
something different if we haven't located any fish or we can't haven't haven't moved any fish i guess uh i'm gonna be trying all kinds of things but my other go-to for a long time early season is just a really small i wouldn't even call it a twitch bait but more like a slash bait i know a lot of places people throw x wraps um i've always used a magnum bomber long a which is a little bit bigger and that's accounted for a whole lot of uh early june fish for me over the years uh, especially when fishing's tough and we just aren't having any luck at all just that really erratic slashing uh middle bait actually uh has been killer for us so it's that's been kind of one i've kept under my hat for a long time but that that thing is uh when i need a when i need a bite from a muskie that's that's the deal but you have to work it you know, really erratically like you would a bass jerk bait with mostly on a slack line where you're just hitting it hard and you know, it's side to side up and down and, uh, it, it, it can definitely trigger some strikes too. Kind of an overlooked one, I guess. Well, it's interesting. You know, everybody talks about finding the bait fish and this might be a super novice question, but I'm thinking that some of our anglers out there might not understand the process. What's your deal when you're out there trying to find base bait fish? Is it seriously just as much as, just slowly cruising around, checking your side imaging and your, your, you know, standard sonar for, you know, clouds of bait fish. Is that what you do to do it? And how long do you spend finding bait fish? Yeah. Well, for me, it's easy, right? Cause I do walleye trips and we'll do some trolling, uh, near the basin by June 3rd. So yeah, I mean, it, we're, we're spotting bait fish all the time, probably even marking a few muskies. So, but yeah, if, uh, that's, that's what, that's one thing everybody can do you know, before the season two is just drive around and, and look to see in, at that very minimum, maybe you can figure out what end of the basin has the most bait, you know, break it down into quadrants and say, okay, I'm going to start here. You know, that's, that's, that'll save you a lot of, a lot of time on, on opening day for sure. Just doing that. How much do you find that bait moves from day to day? hundred yards, 200 yards, a mile what do you think yeah it can move it can move a mile but you know we're dealing i'm dealing with you know some ba- one basin out here that's uh you know 15 miles long so um you you it's it's really helpful to 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 know what end to start on at least right yeah but it's not one of those instances where you know, it's, it's here in this location and then the next day it's completely gone. I would imagine it's, you, you'll be able to find it within, you know, a moderate drive, I would assume to stay on it. Yeah. Usually within, you know, like you say, a few hundred yards, uh, you can pick up bait fish again for sure. And we've got some basins that almost have too much bait in them. If that makes sense, we've got smaller basins that are full of bait. And so, finding bait isn't really even that important it's uh it's there all the time the fish know where it's at they're adjacent to it all the time they can feed whenever they want um can be a little harder to get a bite actually and then we've got larger basins where you know only 10 percent of that basin has any ciscos at all and so that's where it's key to know where those ciscos are at uh, at least, you know, week to week, I would say, uh, it saves you a lot of time. So you can miss all the bait fish by miles. If you're, uh, 
if you start trolling on the wrong end of the basin. So uh, with our electronics now, if you can, if you've got your, your transducer set where you can read, you know, running at high speeds or even at 25 or 30 miles an hour, you can usually pick up a school of bait fish, you know, running 30 miles an hour and just running from one end to the other and side to side, you can, you can find those, those bait fish on step a lot of times. Brad, it, this might've been you. I can't remember. We've always talked about, we've talked about this before. I just can't remember we, we, when we did it. So it was, um, you know, a lot of people, they want to drop waypoints down when they find bait, but then you should probably go back and delete the waypoint off because the waypoint may only be good for that day, right? Brad, don't you do something, or was it Phil? Did you do something other than drop a waypoint? Somebody said something. They do some way yeah. to mark it, but it's not dropping an actual waypoint. What was it? What I what I always have done is I'll make a corkscrew. So if I'm going across the lake, and, and it's interesting that Phil brought up, you know, on step and going fast, that's that's a really good way to cover water and figure things out fast. But what I'll do is I'll just make a loop. And the reason I make that loop is, uh, it's real easy to identify, you know, on your trails that are printed on your screen. So now you can utilize that because a lot of times you drop that waypoint, you always forget to delete it. And, uh, the baits are, they're going to move throughout the, the weeks and as the season progresses. So I use that and utilize a, a little corkscrew. Yeah, it could it could either be bait fish or when someone's hat blew off, right? Where you made a, a loop. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. That's valid. The the other thing you can do is a lot of the I don't know which graphs have it and which don't, but you can use the man overboard uh, feature, and then that stands out, you know, and you can you can get rid of that pretty easily too. Right, that that would stand out. That's a good way to do it as well and, it, and you could change your icon as far as what that waypoint looks like so you know oh crap i need to delete that but there's different ways of handling it and i think everybody's kind of got their own little system the the other the other thing here's another kind of not so secret secret but out here we've got a lot of white pelicans that eat those ciscos too so when they're near the surface uh when the ciscos are near the surface uh, you might see some dabbling uh white pelicans there too all right phil before we let you get out of here if uh you're looking to if somebody's looking to get out on leech lake this summer how do they go about getting in contact with you yeah sure they can uh outrightangling.com is probably the best way to learn about uh my guide service or get a contact me uh or 218-209-6285 they can give me a call or a text Perfect. Well, Phil, I want to thank you for your time, and we hope that you have a great opener, and we hope you have a great season, and I'm sure we'll be in touch with you at some point this summer, potentially. It's hard to say exactly when that will be, but you know, we uh, we appreciate your uh, contributions to our podcast, and hope you have a successful season. Yeah, have a great season, guys. Uh, like always, great talking to you. Thanks for having me on. All right. Last but not least is Greg Schroeder with Schroeder's Guiding Service. And we got Greg on because, you know, first off, he can talk intelligently about muskies. Second of all, he's in the metro area, which is a, you know, very popular place for muskie anglers to be fishing. Greg, I know that you're always busy because you're a multi-species guide. So you're, you know, you've been on the water a ton, I'm sure, already. You know, I thank you for taking time out of your schedule. And I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to be on with you guys. It's, a, it's an honor to be on here. So thank you so much. 
So, Greg, let's talk about it. You know, the opener for Minnesota is fast approaching, and you've been on the water. What are you seeing, you know, as of right now? And I'll, I'll preface this by saying we're a little bit outside the opener. we got about a week or so to go to the opener, a little bit over that. You know, so we're so things can change still, but based off what you've been seeing right now, you know, where where are these muskies going to be at as far as like location? And you know, you think the spawning stuff is already done, or you think that's something that still has to be concerned for muskie anglers in Minnesota? Yeah, um, we've been out chasing bass a lot, doing a lot of visual fishing and stuff like that. Um, our water's you know in the mid sixties already, so it's starting to warm up, and we have been seeing a lot of muskies uh, in the shallower water yet. But I would say I have seen a lot more small fish in the last few days. And I, there's some big slammers in there yet, but for the most part, I think they are done and they're starting to slide out. So, I mean, if you're looking for action and decent fish, maybe you know, a few, few more fish, you know, my plan is to throw some aggressive bait shallow first, try to move some fish, try to trigger some bites. And then, uh, you know, if we're not catching what we're looking for, then I'm just going to keep sliding deeper and, and uh, may go all the way out into the, the basins um to find the big fish big females often slide out there uh early season so that's kind of our plan and kind of what we're seeing here the new weeds of course uh, mixed sand and rock tend to tend to hold more of the fish that we're seeing you know with, with the cleaner clearer water right now i do believe if you can get some wind or, or overcast um that's also going to help but i think we'll be focusing a lot of the uh windswept shorelines and stuff like that right now um i think that's going to be key for the early bite feel that uh, you're right on schedule, or do you feel like the weed grows behind? Where do you think we are right now? I mean, is it more normal? Uh, you know, I know across the state and across Wisconsin, I actually, everything was like way, way behind, and all of a sudden it just it totally flipped. I was on the water today, and I mean, the water temps are in the, like, 64 degrees. It blows my mind um, how fast things have changed, but... I'm just kind of curious, like in your neck of the woods in the metro area between cities, do you think it's on schedule? I do. I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said, though. It was way behind. Um, you know, we, a week ago, we were looking for weeds. We couldn't find them. And, uh, you know, it, it was tough. And you go into some of your, like for us fishing bass and stuff, you know, for the opener uh, or even the pike, some of our best spots didn't have a dang weed on them. And, uh, and we were finding more of our fish in the sand rock combos you know, any little breaks or any any deviations in the in the bottom i've been seeing like i said earlier those water temps in the mid 60s here already um it, it's been fluctuating from 62 to 66 depending where you're on the lake and the weeds are blowing up now and uh i think by the opener of the muskie we're gonna have some real good uh weed growth to fish over the top of and around yeah it, it's always remarkable how fast the state can snap back around. And of course it's all weather related, right? So it's one of those deals. You just don't know what's going to take place until it really gets here. And, and we're getting there, you know, we're a few days away from the actual musky opener for Minnesota. So it's kind of exciting. I know it was interesting to see kind of what took place with the Southern opener of Wisconsin. Of course, this past weekend, when this comes out with Northern Wisconsin is open and, a lot of fish were being caught, so and, and it blows my mind on how the water temps have just ramped up. And I still don't know, you know, the northern portion of the state of Minnesota, we could run into some spawning fish yet, but, man, the way things are looking, I, I think it's going to be done. So I think it's going to be a pretty typical, normal opener. 
if anything, some of the northern areas might be a little bit behind, but not much. Um, what are you going to do? You know, you talked a little bit about rock. You said your weed growth may be a hair behind, but those weeds can really shoot up within two, three days, four days, and, and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I think this time of year, I mean, I, I've always been uh, one to say, to let the fish tell you what they want. Um, and I think that's going to be more true this year than ever before because, you know, without being able, being able to go out and target them and stuff, you know, I mean, just watching when, while we're bass fishing, you know, that's the only indications we have. And like you said, with the weather, it can change in a heartbeat. Um, I'd go into it with an, I'm planning on going into it with an open mind and, uh, I'm going to start shallow. I'm going to be ripping bucktails over those shallow weeds, trying to find some fish. But, um, you know, <laughs> after a few hours, if I'm not seeing what I'm looking for, you know, I'm going to go hunt some hogs out in the deep water. I think that's, that's my plan as of today, but I'm going to have an open mind and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be pounding the water and, and, uh, I'll let them tell me what they want. And that's what we're going to do. So I think that's really, really important, especially early season. So, Greg, I got to ask because, you know, I know the listeners, we've had this question many times. How long before you make that move to the open water? If you're not seeing those fish, is it an hour? Is it two hours, six hours? When are you going to make that move? And tell me maybe some really good instances on when you do make that change. Well, that's the million dollar question. Um, you know, for me, it depends on my situation. Like, you know, when I was tournament fishing and you've got, you know, eight hours to, to get her down or whatever, that can alter it. Or, you know, like for me, I run a lot of six hour musky trips. You know, that can also play, definitely plays into it. But if I'm out there scouting or looking, you know, on my own where I have all day, I'm going to be a lot more patient. I don't know. I mean, you guys, you guys know musky fishing and, and, uh, I'm going to go in there and, and, you know, if I'm seeing a lot of life in there, if I'm seeing a lot of bait in there, if I'm moving some fish, um, you know, I'm going to be a little more patient at that point, but two hours and hit several locations. Like I said, I'm, I'm super aggressive when clients get in the boat, they always say that, man, you, you're covering water, you're moving. I learn how doing that. I mean, if I'm, if I'm sitting in one, you know, if, if you see some big fish and you want to sit on them to catch them, fantastic. But, I'm not learning what's going on. And as you know, each muskie has an attitude of its own and, and, and you know, its own personality. And, and if you're going super slow, you're working one area a long time, you, there could be an aggressive fish 200 yards away and you don't know it. So I fly shallow and I, I just try to learn on a quick curve and um, you know, I'll give it two to three hours doing one thing. And the hardest part is when you're about ready to bail, <laughs> that's when you move a good fish and then you're like second guessing everything. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say two hours is a good, good, uh, time frame for me. And if I'm not seeing what I want, I'm going to move on to the next phase and, uh, you can always go back, you know, say, say you go shallow and you see a good fish and a couple of little fish slide out. And, uh, you know, you can always go back in if, if that's the best game in town, but, uh, you know, that that's the hardest part. And, I think that kind of separates some people from others when you're making the right decisions versus I screwed up today. <laughs> so, um, again, go in with a good attitude, go in with uh, an open mind and just try to read the situation. And, and like I said, it's not always just seeing fish, but reading the water. If, if the weed growth looks good, if the bait fish are in there, um, you know, sometimes that's super important too, but again, just, it's kind of a gut feeling really if you if you like what you're seeing stick with it a little longer if, if it doesn't feel right bail and and go to something totally different and see if it works and that's 
that's how you fall into fish. That's how you learn, in my opinion. And that's kind of been my philosophy from day one. So, I think people go about it in two different ways, Greg. And it sounds like you're more of a run and gun and you're looking just for that active fish, right? You're not looking for a, a slow follow behind that bait. You're looking for an active fish, one that's really going to crush the bait. And speed will do that, you know, whether it be your boat movement speed as well as your bait speed, you're definitely looking for an active, wide-open fish. And, and then there's other guys that are going to take a slower approach. And uh, it, I don't know. There's two different styles to this whole game. And it's always interesting to understand or listen to different people's opinions on when they're going to make a change, when they're going to make a bait change, when they're going to make a, a, a move across the, the lake, you know, to a different piece of structure. So it's always cool to hear those different things. Yeah, I think they both work too. And again, it, like the fish, we're all individuals and, and, uh, you know, some guys are fantastic at, at sitting on a fish and, and figuring out how to get them to go or waiting for them to go. And then, yeah, like others, like myself, I, I'd rather fish 50 fish and find two aggressive ones than sit on three, three fish and wait for them to bite. And especially as a guide, clients aren't always the most understanding and they're like, well, this fish isn't biting. Let's move. But uh, sometimes it's hard to convince them to sit on a spot when you're not catching fish, you know. And, and if I'm on a big fish, I'll sit there and throw all day at them. But I prefer to run and gun. <laughs> you know, other guys do it the opposite, and they freaking kill it. So, I mean, I don't know. I think it just depends on your attitude. And, and again, you know, there's so many good musky fishermen out there. And, and uh, you know, guys can read the water well. And if they think sitting on them is the way to go, and, you know, they get it done doing that too. So. You know, the two different styles are even, they're somewhat similar still. You know, if you think about it, if you're, and I think it's based upon weed growth as well. So if you're fishing a structure that you need to go slow because you need that musky to actually find that bait, that's different than if you're fishing rocks where a musky can maybe in clear water, they can see 20 feet, right? So there's a different approach on what kind of structures you're fishing as well. So, I mean, there's, there's two sides to every story. Yep. Yep. I just believe so much in confidence and, you know, like you said, there's, there's multiple ways to catch fish and do what you do what you're confident in, but don't be afraid to try something new and, and expand. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I'm just such a strong proponent of going in with an open mind because I learned, I, you know, I've been guiding 39 years on the same body of water and I'm still learning stuff. And, uh, I think that's the fun part about it. I mean, you go out there and yeah, I love to throw cowgirl juniors and watch them come up and freaking pound it right next to the boat, but it's awfully fun to jig a tube and, and get that tick and slam the hook and watch that rod boat up too. I mean, I guess that's what I love about musky fishing. There's a million ways to do it and each person can do it to the style that they prefer to do it and still be successful. But yeah, again, like you said, there's different situations and, and reading the situation is key, I think. So, I don't know, go out there and have fun. That's the main thing. <laughs> Agreed completely. I think the other part to it too is, you know, you're fishing a pretty heavily pressured body of water as well, Greg. So, you know, learning stuff on the fly all the time, you're going to learn more because as you pressure these fish more and more, they're going to make changes. They're not going to do what they normally did, right? So, that, that part of it, too, is you got to think outside the box. And I think a lot of times it's quite amazing to me, and I think one of the things that you can really relate to is if you look at a PMTT trail, 
these guys, their home bodies of water, generally the home fishermen don't do as good as some of the guys that just showed up. Right. And, and I think it's because they're not thinking outside the box. And I think you got to be considerate of that. So definitely really cool to hear that you, you make some of these changes. Yeah. It's so easy to get cut, uh, caught in a rut, you know, and, and, uh, you know, do your milk run or whatever, however you want to say it. But, uh, yeah, I watched, uh, when the PMTT was on talk and not, you know, I guess a few years ago now, but, um, all, all the guys from out of town came in and, I was blown away. I mean, A, at how good these guys are at fishing muskies, but more importantly, how they dissected the lake. And there were some little tiny spots in the middle of milfoil flats that took me five years to find. And some of these boys from Kentucky and wherever, they were just sliding right in there. I'm like, I was just sitting back going, holy smokes, there's a lot of good fishermen out there. And, uh, yeah, they were doing things a little different, and, and uh, a lot of guys put a lot of fish in the boat that way, too. And the other thing, when you're fishing pressured water, to think about, you can go into the best piece of structure in the world, but if six boats hit it before you, your odds of success are pretty darn low. So if you camp out on you know, a couple spots like that, you're kind of screwed right off the bat. You know, that's where I go through, and, and uh, you know, I try to watch ahead of me and watch areas and if there's boats on it i usually just skip it but um you know it, it can be a double-edged sword you, you look on the maps and something like oh man this point looks great look at this flat look at this look at that well yeah and then you sit back and watch and it's like a carousel there's one boat going in and leaves the next one comes in the next one comes in and there's not a fish to be found there anymore so yeah it's that's part of the fun the whole game jeff i gotta bring you into this and you the cockpit captain phil quite a bit about the open water side, um, doing the open water trolling. Greg, you, you know, I don't think that that's something that happens a ton in Wisconsin and some of that's because of trolling regulations and so on and so forth, Jeff. But, and then I, I'd like to go into with Greg, you know, do you do any open water casting as well? But, you know, Jeff, can you relate to that? I mean, I don't see that as being a huge thing that happens in Wisconsin. It's not a huge thing that happens in Wisconsin at all. I I hope, and I had this same hope last year, and I did get out one time because I, I played around that stuff in June. So me and, and Andy from Infamous Tackle, we took a trip up north, and we specifically kept the casting stuff at home to play around with the open water bite. And we didn't have any success. We had like a day, a little over a day to play around a little bit. But it's something that I hope I can try to implement a little bit this year because I would assume that – Muskies are muskies are muskies, right? There should be an open water bite in northern Wisconsin in June. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, the second part to that whole thing, I guess, was, Greg, how much time do you spend casting open water versus trolling? Um, you know, I, I would say I definitely troll more than casting. Um, I don't know if you guys know Tim Barker from Kentucky. He comes up and guides for me yep. in the summertime. And, I mean, he's a trolling fiend. And that, that guy has taught me so much about trolling. And I just, I owe him a lot of, a lot of credit because, um, yeah, we've been doing pretty good on the trolling bite. Um, but there again, I, I, I approach it the same as I do the shallows. I troll aggressive. We're throwing, you know, we're trolling big baits, headlocks, even triple D's, um, some depth raiders work really good out here and we're trolling fast and, and aggressive. And again, you have to be adaptable though. If, if I'm seeing tons of bait and some big marks and stuff and I'm, going over the top of them a bunch of times and nothing's happening 
I'll stop the boat and we'll chuck, you know, big medusas, big bulldogs, and uh, just throw plastic at them and rip over them. And and uh, I even have success with some of the bigger cranks. Like I, I like throwing the the depth raiders in that situation too, and crank it down to their depth, and then just use it almost like a twitch bait down deep. And if if you're trolling over them and they're not aggressive, sometimes just slowing that bait down, making them look injured, that can be a real trigger too. And I would say I probably personally troll. 70% of the time and maybe even 75% of the time. And then I'll cast to those fish too. And, um, you know, just when the, when the situation dictates it, uh, yeah, we've got some monsters doing it. It's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> so, but I would say I'm definitely more of a troller than I am. Uh, Cause I do a ton of pike fishing too. I guide for pike all summer. So we've got the trolling thing pretty dialed in and then we just adapt. And like I said, Tim's taught me a lot too, because they troll a ton in, on cave run. So, um, I don't know if I'm up to the trolling of Brad Hoppy, but you know, we, we aim high and we try. <laughs> Let's not go there. I, I don't know about that. The last couple of years, it's been uh, challenging to get the trolling done up here. So who knows, you know, it's one of them deals. And, and I think again, it's, it's fun weather. Um, I would definitely say that our trolling boat in my neck of the woods, even across the state has been more challenging than normal for the month of June. And, and it's kind of frustrating, but again, I think it's all weather related and then the bait ways. And also we talked a little bit about bugs in the last portion of this. And I have not seen a good bug hatch for, man, it, I bet I'm going on close to five years. It, it's quite bizarre. And that, that changes the bait side. That's one question I have for you though. You're not a Cisco based uh, body of water. So those open water fish, what are they out there, you know, chowing on at that time of the year? Huge schools of sunfish usually, um, some crappies. So I, I also match the baits to the, those styles too. Um, those colors seem to be key. And there are some pretty good sized lake shiners. I wouldn't say it's a huge draw, but if you can find areas where the bigger shiners are, um, I mean, that's like candy to all the fish in the lake. And, um, I just quick story about my dad. He was a big sun fisherman and I took him out musky fishing and he wanted to catch a meal of sunfish. So I said, well, we're going to go to my musky stuff. And he was fishing sunfish over the side. He wanted eight for the, for the frying pan that night. And I took him to one of my favorite musky spots. We were on a, on a deep water point and he started sunny fishing. I was chucking, I think it was cowgirls at the time. And, uh, he was catching big lake shiners, like, you know, six up to six inches. And like the, it just triggered because that point was holding muskies. We were catching big bass out there at dark or dusk. We were catching some walleyes. And, uh, I assumed, you know, it was more sunfish and crappies down there, but he starts pulling big shiner after big shiner. And, and, uh, so th there's a pretty good population of those on Tonka too. And that's kind of, kind of not it's definitely overlooked you know they're hard to find but when you find them if you're in the shallows and you see the bigger shiners flying around get ready there's a ton of little ones too but when you find those bigger ones that is like candy to those muskies they, when you find one you almost find the other there as well so that's just kind of a funny story from years back that it just was like an eye-opener to me it's like i had no idea and he starts catching all those shiners i'm like uh okay this makes sense now but yeah, I would say tr primarily it's panfish. No, it's it's your sunfish and your copies. Well, if you think about it, a shiner is basically a mini Cisco in a sense, a mini shad, right? I mean, that that whole bait fish side of things. I mean, yeah, the shiner isn't quite as big, but 
it's definitely a little easy meal. Sometimes when they're not hungry, they just like us, they want a snicker bar. They just want a snack. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Now, do you downsize some of your baits? I mean, it, you know, you said that you're, you're using triple D's and you're using headlocks, probably matlocks as well. Are you downsizing? Are you using like a 10 inch and smaller or do you go all the way up to a 12 inch bait as well? I, I've got the 12s. I would say the 10s are more productive here. You know, so I'll, I'll do the 10s primarily and then the other Raiders are what, 8 inch, I believe, and, and uh, same with the Ds. And uh, so I would say my magic size is, yeah, that, that 8 inch. If I'm looking for a giant, you know, I'll focus primarily on the little bit bigger, the 10s and stuff. But uh, depending on the client and, you know, the cool thing about guiding when I've got two, three clients in the boat, and uh, we can mix it up a little bit too. So I'll usually have one one big bait out, and then you know downsize some of it, and you know boss shads and, and tough shads and stuff, even the smaller stuff. And you know, I guess the cool thing there too is you're catching pike, which some clients just want action with the chance of a big one. So it's kind of nice because you can mix it up. You can run some smaller stuff, and then you know, and, and we throw we throw bucktails and stuff too mixed in. So. Um, you know, that's the cool thing about having multiple people in the boat and allowing yourselves to have multiple lines out. It's like, I do mix it up. I mix up colors. I mix up sizes. I'm running some deep and some shallow and, uh, you know, day after day, it, it tends, there tends to definitely be a pattern, but you know, flat and sunny. Okay. Now they're running a little deeper. The deep, deep rods are going, you know, it, again, just adaptability is everything. I, I just live and die by that. And I like to throw everything at them and, and then just keep an open mind and, and, you know, if they're hitting deep, dark baits, well, there's going to be a few of them down there. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, but I think it's something people get hooked on their favorite baits, their favorite colors. And, uh, you know, I get it all the time. Clients will come in the boat. Oh, here's, here's my, uh, black and nickel bait on at once. And that's what they want to throw all day. And I'm like, it's great bait, but Man, if we hit pop, if we pop a couple on something shiny, let's uh, mix it up a little, little bit, you know. And, um, I think I think we all get into that same rut, you know, and run your favorite baits. But I just I just like to try everything, you know, or a lot of different things, and then just keep sliding that way. And and um, that works for me. Anyway. How about you, Brad? What do you like to do and kind of set in certain ways, certain baits, or are you mixing it up as well? How do you do it? Well, I'll tell you, you know, I mean, I was always a, a Jake and a grandma guy for many, many years. And when Supernatural came out, the headlocks and matlocks kind of changed the whole game, right? Um, definitely something different. Uh, if you want to compare, basically, a headlock is probably more similar to a Jake or a grandma. Um, they're going to stay a little bit tighter wiggle. Sometimes, and especially in the spring, my matlocks are going to do better. And the last three years, this kind of sounds stupid, but I mean, we do have Cisco-based lakes up by me. And so, a bigger bait, and I love giant crankbaits. I mean, this is something that I've always enjoyed fishing with. Um, I've played around and tinkered with different things over the years of my own stuff that I've made. Um, I still mix in some giant trolling baits. You know, our trolling girls can be very effective at that time of the year. And there was a time when I was catching pretty much 90% of my fish on trolling girls in the open water for the month of June. It was amazing. I mean, you think about that. 90% of my fish catches were on blades versus crankbaits. 
And I've seen that change a little bit and then it goes back, you know, and day to day it might be a little bit different as well. But I'd say today it's 50% blade to crankbait. And okay. I will say that you start getting into like, say a matlock. Now you're going to have a bait that has a tight wiggle, but it still walks, right? It's going to make wider sweeps. Um, the 10 inch hex is another one that's going to sweep. It's going to walk away. You know, it's going to be, have that tight wiggle, but it's going to walk one to three feet back and forth. And I feel like you can get away with that more in the, uh, open water during the June time frame than you can in the fall. A lot of times in the fall, especially as that water starts getting really cold, I want a little bit tighter wiggle. I don't want it to be as aggressive and start wondering as much, but definitely, uh, those baits and i was going to say the last three years what's really interesting is 10 inch matlocks have been better than the 12 but 12 inch headlocks have been better than the 10 inch headlocks for me in the last three years so and and that might change this year you know but you kind of stick to what's been working and don't get me wrong i'm going to put out the baits that work really really well for me but having multiple clients in the boat just like you said, Greg, I'm going to switch some things up and I'm always going to have something out there in that mix that's totally unique or different just because I want to keep testing the fish. Right. So, uh, but I'm always going to have a trolling girl, a 12 inch headlock and a 10 inch matlock. And then if I can mix things or change colors and do different things, I'll put that into the mix periodically one rod's always kind of experimental and that's kind of, I mean, if there's three guys in the boat, one rod's always experimental and I'm going to change that one up periodic, periodically throughout the day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's fun. I love the whole, <laughs> the whole adventure of it. It's like, if it was easy, it wouldn't be nearly as fun, you know, and just, uh, kind of the, to backtrack on what you just said, they're trying different baits and stuff too. I always mix in a couple new spots, every guide trip too, or especially when I'm scouting, I, I rarely fish my, my good stuff, if you will. But, uh, every single trip. And I, I tell the guys that work with me too, I'm like, you know, you gotta learn, you gotta just try something and you don't want to waste a lot of time on, on a spot that hasn't produced, but you know, we all have those spots in the back of our mind going, man, that situation, that, that condition should produce right on that spot. Go for it. Go spend 15, 20, 30 minutes on it. And I've found some phenomenal spots that way where it's just like a gut feeling or, or you've been thinking about that spot. Don't be afraid to throw something different in there once in a while. And, and uh, I've gotten into some super cool locations and, and uh, some super cool situations where we're pounding big fish in areas that I've never fished before. And, and honestly, it saved a couple of guide trips over the years too, where it's like, dang, I didn't know that was going on here, but you know what? Some of those spots are still like producing for me today. So. I just love that whole part. Just just chasing and trying different things. I think it can really pay off if you do it. Yeah, one thing that I've always thought and talked about too is, you know, trying new spots. I mean, I definitely think that it's worthy and it's something that you need to do um, on a daily basis for sure. But one of the things that I think a lot of people don't think about is, is okay, I'm catching fish here. This is awesome. This is working. Well, guess what? That's a good time to go try some new spots too, because if the fish are active and they're actually, you're catching, sometimes some of those other spots might've been dead while that good spot was dead as well. So you've got to go check out some of these spots when things are really rocking 
make sure you're checking those spots at that time too. That's exactly right. All right, Greg. Well, I want to thank you for the information, fishing Metro waters and for the uh, opener. And if people are looking to get in touch with you to book a trip this year, how do they go about doing that? Yeah. Um, so it's true. Uh, Schrader's guiding service. Um, we do have a, a website out there. You can find us on that. You can definitely direct uh, direct call me on my cell at 952-442-3474. Uh, I love to talk fishing at any time. Um, but those are the two primary ways, and uh, we'll get you set up. Whether you want anything from panfish, bass, northern walleye, right up to the big muskies. Um, and I've got a good crew that I work with, and, and we've got a lot of eyes on the water at all times. And We'd love to get you out there and uh, put you on your first, your biggest, or whatever it may, may be. Just a great day on the water. Well, Greg, I want to thank you again for uh, for your information and you, uh, you know, interrupting your busy schedule to talk musky fishing with us. And we hope that you have a successful opener and a great musky season. All right. Well, I appreciate it. It's an honor to be on with you guys. And I hope you guys slam it all year, too. So, again, thank you so much. All right, Brad, so that is the Minnesota Musky Opener Preview. want to thank our three guests for taking time out of their schedule to uh, talk musky fishing with us. Brad, you know, we're just days away for people that were listening. Hopefully they jump in early. I know last week we had an uh, unbelievable Wednesday for people, you know, listening to the podcast. I think that was a, probably our highest downloaded day ever. So apparently people aren't ready to get rid of us just yet, which is, a, a, I guess that's a good sign for you and I. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the amazing part is, Jeff, is I think, you know, we're into the season, right? And everybody's kind of gearing up and they're excited about it. So I'm guessing that kind of helps them with the download numbers as well. Yeah. And if, you know, you were one of those uh, listeners that jump off in November, we do have some of that. We see it every year. You know, if you're one of those listeners, go back and check out some of our episodes that we had over the winter. I'm sure you can find some nuggets to help you catch more muskies this year. But Brad, I don't have anything else to add to this episode. Why don't we just, uh, you know, sign off. Hope everybody has a uh, great Minnesota muskie opener. We hope anybody that's just getting out fishing for the weekend, you have a great, successful weekend. And we want to thank all of our listeners for putting up with us for another episode. Good luck, everybody. <laughs>